and I hope that uh, I hope that you've been been keeping up as we've as we've been going through the book of Ephesians. And uh, this this is a tremendous epistle for me. It has been eye opening as we went through it, and uh, been going through it for some time now, and dissecting it as we go, which I think is a wonderful way to um, really get into the mind of the author and understand exactly what he's trying to tell us. We talk about it a lot in here. Uh, Matthew and I, I think we, we mentioned a lot how that if we would just take the time to read each book as a whole within itself and with its, within its own context, that we'll understand exactly what is trying to be relayed from the author to the audience. It is so important. It's, uh, it's okay to, to go to the Bible and, and take a small section of verses to understand something. It's okay to do that. It's not that you can't understand things that way. But if you really want to understand why somebody says something or why one author author says it this way or, or vice versa, what have you, it is, it is so helpful to read the entire book. So we've been doing that. And as we've been going through the book of Ephesians, and we've been doing that as well with Matthew as we've been teaching through the, the book of Galatians. Matthew and I didn't plan this. It, uh, wasn't, it wasn't intentions or, or our intention. However... It's kind of, I guess it's just a coincidence, but it just so happened that both of, the, both of these books cover a lot of the same material. They're written by the same author, and that being Paul, and therefore his message is a lot the same. Even though his audience is different between the, between the two books, Paul deals with the same problem in Ephesians that he's dealing with in Galatians when it comes to the separation of people within the body of Christ. Like I said, the audience is somewhat different, but the problem remains the same in the sense of segregation within the body of Christ. So today we'll read Ephesians chapter 2. And uh, I want to read from verses 11 through 22 for some context, and then we'll, then we'll center in on verses 11 through 13 specifically today. So um, let's read, start at uh, Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 11. It says, So then remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcised by those called the circumcised done by hands in the flesh. At that time, you were without the Messiah, excluded from the citizenship of Israel, and foreigners to the covenant of the promise, with no hope and without the Almighty in the world. But now in Christ Yeshua, you who were far away have been brought near by the blood of the Messiah, for he is our peace, who made both groups one, and tore down the dividing wall of hostility in his flesh. He did away with the law of the law of the commandments and regulations so that he might create in himself one new man from two resulting in peace he did this so that he might reconcile both to the almighty and one body through the cross and put the hostility to death by it when christ came he proclaimed the good news of peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near for through him we both have access by one spirit to the father so then you are no longer foreigners and strangers but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the Almighty's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, with Christ Yeshua himself as the cornerstone. The whole building is being fitted together in him and is growing into a holy sanctuary in Yahweh, in whom you also are being built together for Yahweh's dwelling in the Spirit. It's a wonderful text to read in and of itself. It's beautiful what Yahweh's done through his Son. <clears throat> but before we unpack these verses, I'd like to talk to you a little bit about the unity of the body of Christ. It's a common theme throughout the scripture as a whole, and it's a very important one at that. In today's church, it is obviously a problem 
that we face globally. That's the separation of the body of Christ. We fight against all kinds of separation. Within the church world today, we, do, we fight against denominationalism, historic viewpoints, traditions, opinions, pretenses, etc. All these things, to some degree, create disunity in the body of Christ. And in them, there's a major downfall in the edification of the church. We lose some of that because we're so busy fighting or arguing about whether, whether or not somebody's right. Disunity creates confusion within the body. And it also, I believe, disrupts everything that our Creator is trying to do to achieve or trying to achieve within the body that was repaired by his son. That was the whole purpose of Christ, was to repair the, to repair the, the disunity, so to speak. So I believe that complete unity within the body was the desire of our Lord, and one of these purposes for being sent by Yahweh. I believe that that's Yahweh, that's the reason, part of the reason that Yahweh sent Yeshua, was to, was to repair the body, of, the body that was supposed to be united under him. I think John backs me up on this, you know, and... and uh, John chapter 17 and verses uh, 20 through 23, Christ is praying to the Father and he says this. He says, I pray not only for these, but also for those who believe in me through their message. May they all be one as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. May they also be one in us so that the world may believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you have given me. May they be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. May they be made completely one so that the world may know that you have sent me and I have, and have loved them as you have loved me. This is our Lord, Yeshua, praying to his Father. He's not asking that the group be made one in personage, but in their direction and in their mind. He wants them to be in one accord, if you will. And I also believe that this was the will of the Father. I believe that the, the Messiah always prayed his Father's will be done. I believe it was the Father's will that everybody be unified. So if the Father's will is for the people to be unified in Christ, then that's what should happen. <clears throat> Guys, unity can be a reality. In some ways, it already is. It may not seem so practically, but positionally, it is. We're all the same in Christ positionally. The, the position we hold, salvationally, our standing before Yahweh, if we are in Christ positionally, we're all the same. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verses 15 through 17, Paul says this. He says, Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? So should I take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Well, absolutely not. Do you not know that anyone joined to a prostitute is one body with her? For it says, for it says that two will become one flesh. But anyone joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. And so positionally, all that are joined in Yeshua are one. We're one with him, just like we would be with husbands and wives. However, when we look at one another, we don't view each other that way. I think this is a problem that we have. But we look at we look at somebody else in the congregation or somebody outside of our own congregation, and we don't view them that way. What about uh, what about First Corinthians twelve and verses twelve through fourteen? Paul says, "For as the body is one, and has many parts, and all the parts of that body, though many are one body." so also in Christ. For we are all baptized by one Spirit into the one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slave or free, and we were all made to drink of one Spirit. So the body is not one part, but many. So Paul's basically saying, just as the body has many members, as does the church, just as the many body parts assist one another to, for the common function of life, so also the church body is made up of parts of many members that should assist one another to achieve a common goal.
Jerry talks about this a lot. Talks about the body being, having many members and how how everybody you know functions one way or the other. It would do it, we would do well to remember that we are part of a body and it has and it has many parts and pieces and it does it has a there is a common goal to function. Christianity cannot and it will not thrive in division. It just won't work. The um, the church has to be united to thrive. See, as each of us come into the church, we're in different places. We we all have different backgrounds. I have a bunch of different backgrounds. I was I was born uh, and raised, I guess, for the most part of my life in a Baptist church. Okay, so that was my background. And then I started going to a Christian church or the Church of Christ, which is you know it's an offshoot of the Church of Christ. It's it's, a, it's not completely different, but there's there's a lot of difference there. And um. And both of those both of those churches have a lot to offer. The Baptist Church has a ton to offer. The Church of Christ has a ton to offer. The Pentecostal churches, the Holiness churches, the, the Methodist churches, they all have a ton to offer, just like we have a ton to offer. But we all have different backgrounds. We have different ethnicities. We have different cultures. We have different traditions. We come from a, a wide variety of places. And some believe that the scriptures some believe that the scriptures are to say one thing, while others believe they say something else. And there's so many different differences within the body that it's crazy. We're to be somewhat different. For example, a foot's different than the mouth. We have to be somewhat different, at least in personage. Maybe not in our viewpoints on, on Christ, but we have to be somewhat different because the foot can't look like the mouth, and it doesn't serve the same purpose. However, it is part of the body. You know, it has to, The common goal must be the same. And the head controls the foot and the mouth, so they both work together to... You know, to to accomplish the same purpose. And where we begin to lose our distinct differences in the church body is in Christ. That's where we start to we start to lose our distinct differences. We all become one here. We start to gel together and we become one in him. He is the head and he's the director of all of us. See, I may be the little toe in this body and Dan may be the neck and, uh, and everybody else in here has their part but none of us, none of us will ever be the head. Will will never be the head of the body of Christ. He's always the head. Christ is the head, and we are His body. And by Him being the head of the body, He directs the body, and our function may be, must be united in order for the complete system to work. It has to it has to work that way. So this is the common goal that we must share. And as one big group of different parts, we must be one in agreement to further the ministry of the body or the church. I'm not saying that we will always agree on everything. I'm just pointing out that if we're not in unity in Christ, if we don't understand what we have to do or who we are in Christ, if we don't have that in unity, then we're not going to function correctly. We're not going to put this all together and it's not going to work right. Now, we've been going through Ephesians for almost a year now. And... Uh, it's been spread out over a year, over se- or over several months. And uh, the rate I'm going, it looks like it might be four or five more years. But uh, but that's not that's not really a problem, you know. I I think uh, I think sometimes I think it took me 26 or 28 messages to teach through the Book of James, and um, it was verse by verse and you know section by section. But I but I think it's important that you cover it that way. And um, the same way here. The same way here, you go through it two or three verses at a time. It seems like it takes forever, but it's okay because when we get done with it, if we did it right, then then we accomplish something, you know, and the, and the body's edified. But um, looks like it's going to take me a long time, but that's okay. I want you to remember back into uh, chapter 1 of Ephesians, which was, you know, nearly a year ago. But in chapter 1 of Ephesians, Paul gives us an outline of the eternal planning of the body. I talked about the the, 14, the 
verses 3 through 14 being one big complete sentence, and I broke it up into three different parts. I don't know if you remember or not, but he talks about the, uh, the eternal planning of the body and how Yahweh has master planned the forming of the body of Christ. He, he, he goes through that in, in the first chapter of Ephesians. And we spent a great deal of time on this chapter talking about the foreknowledge of Yahweh and how he would unite people with Christ over time to be one with him. And Paul talks about how he predestined, to, predestined people to be adopted in Christ and that it was the Father's will all along is what it says in verse 5 of the first chapter. He talks about the, re- the redemption process in verses 7 through 10. And in verses 11 through 14, he talks about the inheritance that we obtained in Christ. I, I remember when we went through it, I-, I told you you might want to make brackets out around those those blocks so that you can you know kind of keep up right there. But this was not some thrown-together plan. It wasn't something that was just thought of overnight. It's a, this, this is Yahweh's plan. It's a master plan. It's a perfect plan. And it was well thought out, and it's an, it's an amazing portrait that Yahweh's painted with us in it. And his son, as the complete backdrop, his, his son's the, more or less the glue that holds it all together. He's the backdrop. He's the stage for all this to take place, you know. And uh, it's just amazing to me. From the beginning of time, Yahweh knew exactly what would happen, how he would orchestrate it, and what the end would be. And I am blown away when I see the all-knowing, all-powerful Yahweh work in his vastness. It is, uh, it is crazy to me. I sit down sometimes, and you know we're supposed to meditate on the scriptures day and night. I sit down sometimes, and I think about, uh, I think about how, how wonderful Yahweh is, or just how magnificent it is that you can plan before anything is ever even created. I can plan who's going to be in a kingdom that's never even been built yet. You know that's uh, that's pretty neat to me. Not not just a, not just a planning process, but the. The putting it all together, working it out through time, and all that kind of stuff, and he, he just does it, and um, I think it's I think it's amazing. Time doesn't even affect him; he doesn't even have a deadline to get the job done. You know, he just does it, and over the course of ages, everything kind of comes to uh, comes to its complete content- potential, and that's just awesome to me. So, in uh, chapter one, he preplans everything; he sets it all up in his foreknowledge, and then in chapter two, he makes it all happen. That's where we're at now in Ephesians 2. And see, the first ten verses in chapter 2, which we've discussed the last couple of times I've taught, uh, present to us the way in which that he brings it all together. That, uh, that the way that, that his plan kind of unfolds. And he does this by, by making the members of the body sanctified. He, he saves them. Salvation is given to the members, and that's the way that he creates his unity within the body. And as we discussed last time, salvation is a gift of Yahweh so that no one can boast. It is the pre-designed plan of Yahweh that we would be adopted according to, the, according to chapter 1 and verse 5. And then we're removed from our sinful state in chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. And we're inserted to the body by Yahweh's grace in chapter 2 and verses 8 through 10. Paul discusses our past sinful life and how long, how lost and destitute we were. And how Yahweh, is the imme- in His immeasurable grace, has removed His wrath from us and placed us within His Son and has forgiven us our trespasses. So that we have faith in His Son. He's given us the faith. He has placed us in the heavenlies with Him. That's what it says in chapter 2. It's as good as done. Paul says we already are placed in the heavens with Christ. So Yahweh's masterpiece is well on its way to be completed and praise Yahweh that He's made us part of it. So all that was sort of a review. Uh, I guess a recap or a review of Yahweh's master plan and his 
action to fulfill it. So, so now we move on to what he formed in verse 11 of chapter 2. What he formed was the unity in Christ. I, I mentioned it previously, but what he formed was the unity in Christ. And Paul's discussing the components of the body. And that's what we are within the body. We're the components of it. And really he's dealing here primarily with the difference between the Judites and the Gentiles. He's showing us that the distinction between the two dies within the confounds of Christ. He's showing us that the distinction between the two die when Christ comes on the scene. We all become one under the commonness of Christ. This is the uni- unity that Christ, unity in Christ that is formed. We share one common bond, and it's the only bond that matters. Faith in Christ is our unity. In fact, the Bible is so clear about this, it's not even funny. Think about the chapter 3, verses 26 through 28 of Galatians, or 25 through 28 in Galatians. Matthew will get to it in the future, but for just a second, I want to kind of elaborate on it some. Paul says, But since faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian, for you are all sons of Yahweh through faith in Christ. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ, there is no Judite or Greek, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Yeshua. Now you may not like that in the case of everybody. You may look at the person in the back of the church today and say, Man, there is no way that he or she is one with me. There's no way that that filthy, uncouth person or that man could hold the same reputation that I hold with Yahweh. You may look at somebody like Peter did, Cornelius, in Acts chapter 10 and say, I'm not going to share the gospel with that man. He's not circumcised. He's not of the same race that I am or from the same heritage that I'm from. You may think all these things, but at the end of the day, that person, your, your claim is not as good as you if he has faith in Christ. He's just as good as you are. If he's placed his faith in Christ, he's just as good as you are. He's done the same thing that you've done. Remember, it's not anything you've done anyway. It's a gift of Yahweh. Yahweh decides to give his grace. If, if he decides to give his grace to a Gentile or somebody that you might think doesn't deserve it for whatever reason, then that's his business. He's in the giving business. That's his grace to give. And uh, we'll just have to like it. That's just the way it is. We can't do anything about it, so we'll just have to like it. Positionally, in Christ, we are all one. They're not prize-winning people in here, or there's not prize-winning people in Christ and then common people in Christ, too. They're all winners. They're all, they're all the same. You're either in or you're out. There's no, there's no well, this group is better because... You know, he's so-and-so in Christ. You're either in or you're out. The distinction dies in Christ. Romans 10, verses 11 through 13 says this. It says, Now the Scripture says, No one who believes on him will be put to shame, for there is no distinction between Jew or Greek, since the same Lord of all is rich to all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of Yahweh will be saved. Folks, it's that simple. It's really that simple. No matter what your previous mindset is, This is what the scripture says. I don't care what you think. The Bible says that anybody that calls on him will not be put to shame. It's really, it's really that simple. And listen, I'm preaching to myself. I have to admit, I was this man in the past. I was the man who could distinguish who else deserved salvation. That's salvation. I thought that I was that person. And that's even ludicrous. That's a ludicrous thought for me to even say right now. 
but it's but it's true. I would look at people and judge them in the, in my mind as to whether or not they could. I thought they could re- receive salvation or not. It's silly. Like like maybe I had some kind of say in it, mm-hmm. brothers and sisters. That's a bad place to be. Amen. That's a terrible place to be. That's a disgraceful way to be, and it's a terrible place to be. And I've repented from that, and uh, had to repent from my whole entire thought process. I think, and uh, I think you always forgiven me for it and for ever even thinking such that I that I, I had a I had a say in somebody's salvation or I had a say in who Yahweh could give his grace to. Silly. Doesn't even make sense. And my mind has become more open to the scripture since since I've uh, since I've changed my way of thinking, I guess. And now I can see that uh I was more of a Judaizer than I was a than I was an evangelist trying to help somebody. I was more of an, a Judaizer trying to get people to be what I was in order to receive what I thought I had. And uh, I was I wasn't anybody. I wasn't anybody. Matter of fact, I had it all wrong. I think I'm I'm, I'm ashamed of it. But uh, grace and salvation are gifts of Yahweh. Lest no man can boast. Ephesians two eight through ten. It's not something that you control or somebody can get for themselves. It's something that Yahweh gives to them. And the dividing wall of hostility was destroyed by Yeshua. We just read in Ephesians chapter two and verse fourteen just a second ago. But I guess in some way we all try to repair it. I guess that's what I was trying to do. I was trying to build that wall back, that wall of hostility. I was trying to build it back up to put it between me and another man because I thought he was a little, I was a little bit better than he was. And so I'm brick by brick, I'm putting that wall up, you know, because I think I'm a little bit better. And that's not the way it should be, or it's not the way it was intended to be. But this is a problem in church today, and it was a problem in biblical times as well. Right here, it's a problem with Paul's having a problem with the same thing. Paul addresses the division in it the division that he's talking about right here, right here, he addresses it in his letter to the church in Corinth. In the first chapter, he tells them, he says, I, I urge you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Yeshua, the Messiah, that you all say the same thing, that there be no division among you, and that you're unified with the same understanding and the same conviction. Some were saying, I'm of Paul. Others were saying, I'm, a, I'm of Apollos. Some were saying, I'm of Cephas. I'm of Christ. And, uh, but Paul rebukes him, and he says, who were you baptized into? Yeah. Were you baptized into me? Were you baptized into Paul, or were you baptized into Apollos? Of course not. The question is rhetorical. The answer is no. Who you learn from is not the key. Denominations are not the key. Works of the law are not the key. The focal point is Christ. That's it. That's it. So this is a problem now, and it was a problem then, and let me... Let me tell you, it just stems from pride. That's where all this comes from. It all stems from pride. We look at someone else and there is no compassion for another man's soul, but rather a puffiness within ourselves. We don't look at somebody and say, man, I wish I could reach that guy. I wish I could reach that guy. I can see, I can see that I think he's lost, that he, de- that he doesn't have the fruit of the Spirit. He doesn't look like he's born again. I wish I could reach him. We don't look at people like that. We look at him and we say, man, that's a sinner. I wouldn't eat with him. Like Jerry was talking about a while ago, I wouldn't eat with him. I don't want to eat with that man. You know, that's not that's not the way that Yahweh designed it. That's not the way he designed it at all. To be viewed as a little bit better than, than the other man, that, that was our goal, I guess, or that's that's the goal of a prideful man. We have this problem today, and it's the same problem that Paul's addressing here in verse 11 of Ephesians chapter 2, or 11 through 22 of Ephesians chapter 2. So in verse 11, he's speaking to the saints in Ephesus. Notice I call them saints. They're foreordained believers chosen by Yahweh. He's speaking to the saints and he tells them, remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh, 
called the uncircumcised by those called the circumcised, done by hands in the flesh. Let's stop right there. Notice he's talking about their alienation, not the sin that they had. He spoke about the sin that they were entangled in in verses 1 through 4. We covered that two times ago when I taught, but he's not talking about their sin. He's talking about an alienation. It's the chosen people as a nation here, the Judahites that remained in Jerusalem. They're calling these people Gentiles or the uncircumcised. It's the Judahites there that are calling, calling them the uncircumcised. The word uncircumcised should be in quotes in your Bible. It is in mine. That's not their name, but rather it's a form of mockery or defamation. It's a form of reproach by those who are called the circumcised. This is a term of derision. And even in, even in David's time, it was a term of derision. I was looking earlier today. Do you remember what David called Goliath? Anybody remember what David called Goliath? He said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of Elohim? It was a way that they classed people as not of their own. You're not of us. You're not like we are. You're uncircumcised. It was a way of classification. David calls the Philistine that. And in the case of the Judahites here in Ephesus, they're calling, they're calling these uncircumcised people these things. See, the Gentiles didn't have the mark of circumcision prescribed by Yahweh in Genesis 17, and so they were not considered part of Israel. And listen, folks, I know that there's several views on who the Gentiles are and uh, who they're not and what the word Gentile means and what it doesn't mean. That's a discussion for another time. I don't want to get into it right now. But, However, right here, whether Gentiles be scattered Israelites that have been divorced or whether they be non-Israelites of different cultures and different race, it doesn't matter because they were viewed as non-covenant members by those who were covenant members. No matter who they are, they're not part of the covenant. The Judahites, in, in contrast to the uncircumcised, called themselves the circumcised. And it was a name of which they were proud of. They call, actually called themselves the group. They called themselves the circumcision. They were, they were of the circumcision or they were of the circumcised. But they had it all wrong. They were proud of a physical aspect, something that was done outwardly. They missed the part about true circumcision that's done inwardly. Romans chapter 2 and verses 28 through 29 says, For a person is not a Judite who is one outwardly. And true circumcision is not something visible in the flesh. On the contrary, a person is a Judite who is one inwardly. And circumcision is of the heart, by the spirit, not the letter. His praise is not from men, but it's from Yahweh. So at the end of verse 11, Paul kind of, kind of blasts him and he says, You were called the uncircumcision by those called the circumcised, done by hands in the flesh. In other words, remember when you were rejected by all those who were, thought they were righteous because of their fleshly signet? He says they weren't really. They weren't really. They were circumcised, but only in the flesh, not in the heart. They had the sign of the flesh, but inwardly they were wicked. Paul says, remember, remember that, was, that was you at one time. See, it was almost impossible for a Gentile to even associate with the believers in Yahweh. They were outcasts. There should, you, you think about it like this. I think I try to put myself back in, uh, in that time, and, and I think if I was a convert, that, that somebody ministered and preached the gospel to me, and um, I believed in Christ, but I wasn't a Judite living in Jerusalem, Let's say I was a foreigner, all right? But I wanted, I wanted to participate in, in Yahweh's 
and Yahweh's word. I wanted to keep the feast. I wanted to, to go up to Jerusalem. I wanted to worship with my brothers. I wanted to make the sacrifices that were, that were prescribed by Moses. If I want to do all those things, I couldn't do them. I couldn't do them because I wasn't a... I might not have been circumcised in the flesh, you know. And, and some of the law prescribes that you be circumcised in the flesh. But, but you could, I, I should still be considered something special to Yahweh if I believe in his only begotten son. Whether or not I was circumcised in the flesh or not. The people weren't completely cast away, though. I think they just needed to go through some rituals. You know, the, the Judaites didn't say that, hey, you can't do any of this stuff. But if you'll just go be circumcised... And then you'll keep the rabbinic traditions and you'll start to do things the way we do them. Then we'll accept you and, and, uh, and you can come on in and practice our customs. But um, that's not what's required. That's not what's required by Yahweh. Verse 12 says, at that time you were without the Messiah. You were excluded from the citizenship of Israel and foreigners to the covenant of the promise. With no hope and without Elohim in the world. So Paul says not only was there a social alienation from Yahweh's people. Because that definitely was there. That was there, but, the, but that really didn't mean anything. He's, he's also saying that there's a true alienation from Christ that you experienced before you were saved. You were without the Messiah. You were separate. You weren't, a, you weren't in Christ. And notice as he says, at that time, you were without the Messiah. And because of that, you were excluded from the citizenship of Israel. You were foreigners to the covenant promises and had no hope and were without Elohim in the world. I would underline that phrase if, if, uh, if I'm drawing in my Bible, I, I, I write in mine. But if you, if you want to, you might underline the phrase where it says, at that time you were without Messiah. This is the key to the rest of verse 12. See, without Christ, they had no messianic hope. They were Christless. The promises that, were, that they were missing out on only come through the Messiah. They were only fulfilled in Christ. They had no anticipation of delivery. They were foreigners to the promise that Yahweh made with Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. They were not in covenant with Yahweh. See, Yahweh chose Israel. You might say, well, why did Yahweh choose those people? All the way through the Bible, they were wicked. They constantly made him mad. You know, they were a stiff-necked people. They committed idolatry. They, they did practice all kind of fornication with other mighty ones, and they always chose the wrong road. It seems like every time you read of Israel, they were always doing something wrong. They never got it right. It was just over and over and over again. And if they did get it right for just a minute, it wasn't long before they messed it up again. You know? It didn't it just didn't last for long. I mean it just didn't it just didn't last a long time. So why did Yahweh choose them? I don't know. I don't know. I can't I couldn't tell you why Yahweh chose them because he says I didn't choose you because of you were a great nation. He said I didn't choose you because you were numerous. He he just chose them. And uh, it's his book. And it's his story. And I'm just reading and It doesn't matter why he chose, chose them. You might say, well, I wish he did. What if he had chose the Amorites or the Moabites or somebody like that? They'd have did the same thing. You know what I mean? He could have shown grace to us in this congregation right here, which he has done, and we continue to break his law. We continue to, to sin against him. We don't, we don't do it intentionally. We don't raise high hands at him, maybe. But nonetheless, we, we sin. You know? The Israelites, they were, they were a special people. They were set apart, but they weren't sinless. Back to verse 12. These Gentiles, whoever you think they were, they're not in covenant with Yahweh. They're lost. They, were viewed as, they weren't viewed as Yahweh's people. They were looked down upon. They were a disgrace to the Judaites and were hated by all who claimed to have Yahweh as their mighty one. So Paul's reminding them of this. But in his reminder, he prefaces it with, at that time. At that time, you were without Messiah. 
Do you know what this tells me? The Messiah is the key. The Messiah is the key to the covenant. Not circumcision. Not genealogy. Not ancestry. Not traditions. Not works of the law. Not any of that. Yeshua the Messiah. That's it. That's it. That's the key. He's everything. He's the glue that holds all the pieces together. He's the part that everyone was missing. Jew and Gentile. They all missed it. See, the nation of Israel was given all they needed. They had the promises. They had the land. They had the government. They had the eternal king. They had the promise of an unblemished savior that was to come. They had all that they needed. And they still missed it. The Gentile didn't have any of that. For crying out loud, they served different gods. In Ephesus, they served a god called Diana. It was a big black beast with a bunch of nipples on it for other suckling gods to suck off of. It was a wicked, just a wicked beast, you know, and that's the God that they served. They had no hope in the world, no hope in the world, unless they had faith in the Messiah. They were missing it, too, without faith in the Messiah. But verse 13, it says, but now in Christ Yeshua, but now in Christ Yeshua. Verse 12 says, verse 12 says this, at that time, you were without the Messiah. Verse 13 says, but now in Christ Yeshua. You who were far away have been brought near by the blood of Messiah. See, folks, he's the common denominator. Not some lineage, not some ancestry. Christ, he's the common denominator. He's fixing to break the, break the bond. It's no different for the Gentile than it is for the Judite. All have a common bond in Yeshua. He who places his faith in Christ becomes a covenant member. He who places his faith in circumcision or ancestry is still just as lost as he ever was. The Gentiles don't have circumcision or ancestry, but Paul tells them that they've been brought near by the blood of the blood of the Messiah. They don't have anything to, to offer. Praise Yahweh. Folks, I would venture to say that most likely none of nobody in here can prove the ancestral line. I would I would venture to say that you can't prove it. I've I've even checked into it to see if I could figure mine out. And uh you go back a couple hundred years on one side or something like that, but you'll lose it. And it doesn't matter anyway. It really doesn't matter anyway. All you need to know is that you were lost. That's what he said in verses 1 through 4. And it wasn't just the Gentiles that were lost. He says he was included. And Paul's a thoroughbred Israelite. Thoroughbred. He can trace his genealogy. And he says he was just as lost as the Gentile was. You were worldly. You were following the Spirit, working in the disobedient. But if you have faith in Yeshua as your Savior, then you've been brought near by the blood of the Messiah. Hallelujah. Praise Yahweh. Guys, listen to me. I hope that you hear this. It's the same message, Jerry. It's just the same message that Paul was teaching the Judites right there and the Gentiles. The Pharisees, all of them. It's the same message, Jerry. I'm bringing, I'm bringing, I'm just, I'm bringing the same message just like you did the other day. I'm bringing the same message that Paul brought. Don't assume that you have some kind of pedigree that makes you acceptable to Yahweh. Don't think because of some works that you perform or some works that have been performed on you that you are automatically part of the fold. See, Israel was the was and still is the chosen people of Yahweh. They'll never not be. Yahweh selected them. They'll always be the chosen nation of, of Yahweh, and that's okay. That's okay. Yahweh set them apart. He made them a great nation. But he never intended for that to be the end. Israel wasn't supposed to be a bucket. Me and Dan talked about this the other day. Israel wasn't supposed to be a bucket that everything just dumped into and died right there. All the blessings didn't just go to, go to Israel and stop. That wasn't the idea. Israel was chosen to be a vessel. 
In Genesis chapter 12, Yahweh chose Abraham out of, the, out of his circumcision. He's not circumcised, but he cho- chooses him out of the earth Chaldeans. He brings him up out of there, and he says this. He says this to Abraham. He says, go out from the land, your land, your relatives, and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who treat you with contempt. And listen, guys, listen to what he says next. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. See, Israel was set apart for a purpose, not to be the end of Yahweh's goodness only for them, but but to be the means of Yahweh's goodness to all mankind. But they missed it. Instead of being holy and set apart to be the shining star for the nations, they became exceedingly proud. And they had something because they had something that everybody else didn't. They used Yahweh's goodness and Yahweh's blessings and they toted it like a trophy. They lorded Yahweh's, Yahweh over people and they sought to keep his love for themselves rather than being the role model he has set them apart to be. People were supposed to look at Israel and say, Oh my, what a mighty nation. What a great nation. And some did through the course of time. Some people looked at them and said, What a great nation. I wonder what king that is that they serve. Who is their mighty one? But instead, the effect was right the opposite. In an attempt to protect their prize from being diminished, they, they thought to keep it away from everyone and treat it like a club that you had to meet certain criteria to join. You had to, you had to do this or you had to do that to become part of it. They created a wall that divided themselves from the rest of the world and they destroyed the very reason that Yahweh chose them to be a light into the world. Their salt had lost its flavor, if you will. But you know what? The very next verse is beautiful thing happens in verse 14 Yeshua tears that wall down folks he tears it down he's our peace who made both groups one and tore down the dividing wall of hostility now we will get more into we'll get more into that next time that I that I teach but until then let's not rebuild it don't stack that wall back up in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 14 Yahweh the the record is that Yahweh sent his son to to tear down that dividing wall of hostility that was built between Jew and Gentile so to speak I don't want to tear down Yahweh's work. I don't want to destroy what he's done. He sent his son to destroy that wall. I don't want to tear it back up. I mean, I don't want to build it back up. If you have any animosity towards any other group of people, I give you give you a little bit of advice from me anyway. Tear it down. Get rid of it. Get rid of it. Let's start repairing the breach. Let's not stack the wall back up. Yahweh sent his son to destroy that wall. If Yahweh's master plan included the gift of his son to tear down the dividing wall of hostility, why in the world do we think we ought to build it back up? Let go of your pride in thinking that we have something that nobody else can get if they don't see things our way. Just because they don't see it the same way we do. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't say, hey, you've got to believe just like the ministers of the New Covenant believe. You, know, you don't have to walk just like they walked. There's one common denominator right here, and that is the blood of Christ. If Yahweh's bought you with a price, like Arnold said in, the, in testimony, if Yahweh sought you out and bought you with a price, you're as good as bought in there. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter where you go. You may not live tomorrow to do anything greater than you did today, but it doesn't matter because you've been redeemed. If that's, if that's Yahweh's plan, that's just the way it is. Faith in the Messiah is the only way, and it's a precious gift that, Yahweh's, that, that it's Yahweh's to give, not ours to control. Folks, we're to be the light in the world, a city set on a hill. Take what Yahweh's given you and bless the earth with it. That was the promise that he made to Abraham when he made him a great nation. Be a light into the world. Shine brightly. Brothers and sisters, let someone see you and wonder who the mighty one it is 
that you serve. Let them look at you and say, man, I wonder, I wonder what creator he serves. He's different. There's something different about him. That they might be inclined to serve, the, serve by faith in the promised Messiah also. The only begotten Son of Yahweh, our perfect Savior. And all the glory of the Almighty. All the glory will, be, will go to the Almighty. In closing, I want to read uh, Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. As believers, I, I think this is what we're called to do. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 13, it says, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt should lose its taste, how can it be made salty? It's no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled on by men. You are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand, and it gives light for all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. I think that was the intention for um, Israel. I think they missed it. I think we miss it when we think we have to add to that right there. We can just, we're, we're written epistles. We're written epistles. We just live our life out the way that we're supposed to be. And somebody would ask us, hey, what is the mighty one that you serve? And then we can be a witness to him. Let's, uh, let's close and pray. Yahweh, Father, I thank you for your um, for your message, Father. I thank you for the words of Paul, and I thank you for your Son and and um, and what He came to do for us, Father. I'm thankful that He that He was able to uh, tear down a wall, a dividing wall that separated separated two two groups of people. Whether we are one or the other, it doesn't matter, Father. I'm glad that there's no division there or there's at least not supposed to be. Father, I pray that you help us to, um, to keep this in mind and, and uh, to walk worthy of our calling. Let us just be what you would have us to be, be a light into the world. And, uh, Father, I just pray that somehow, some way, that we might reach somebody for the benefit of your kingdom, that it may be built up because of us being obedient stewards to your word. Father, we give you uh, all the praise and the glory. Father, we're thankful for your son and all that he's done for us. We ask all these things in your holy son's name. Amen.